0: Hello, friends. This is a big moment for Leadership Center. Uh, I have with me my mentor and mentor of, I don't know, 100 people, more than that. And somebody who has made it an habit to create leaders. The who is who of leadership in India, many of them would say that they have been groomed by Mr. Kamath. Any other introduction to Mr. Kamath will not be them. He is the leader of leaders and to host Mr. Kamath on a podcast is a great moment for leadership center. And I would invite all of you to not just listen to Mr. Kamath. I would want you to go one step beyond having listened to this conversation with Mr. Kamath. In your mind, start your conversation about leadership of what it would be If you are having your own conversation with Mr. Kamath, trust me, at the end of this conversation, you can continue to have conversation with Mr. Kamath, even with him not being with you. That is the power which Mr. Kamath brings to really provoke people. So let me now, without much ado, start the conversation with Mr. Kamath. So thank you, sir. Thank you for having you here. here, uh, sir. Sir, I just want to start with you. By saying So when you were 23 years old, 22, 23 years old, did you have a, a, a notion, concept that what is leadership and how you should prepare yourself for the rest of your life in terms of a journey in leadership? Honestly,
1: no. Uh, honestly, at 23 or 24, uh, I was uh, probably trying to understand uh, what do I do after my MBA because uh, we had a family business which uh, during my engineering years I used to look after. And uh, the option was to go back to that very small family business. And uh, the MBA course opened up your eyes to wider opportunities. So At that stage it was basically uh, trying to decide what you wanted to do rather than aim at leadership and talk of all things that follow.
0: But, sir, you had an interesting uh, bout with leadership, sir, in your campus uh, as a student uh, leader. Uh, is, is there a great deal of difference in terms of a young person thinking about leadership in any domain to somebody who matures to become one an, a large institution's leader?
1: Yeah, That's a very important and interesting point you've raised. Um, you know, to be honest, um, My leadership uh, on campus, as uh, president of the students' union, um, I'd say a lot of it. uh, The credit goes to my father, because he pushed me uh, uh, to actually uh, contest and uh, and maybe uh, he lit a spark to that uh, move. What that taught me was uh, something interesting, uh, something important, and that is you have to stand up uh, for certain causes. So there was uh, um, a strike that um, you know, students of some particular years, you know, junior students wanted to uh, um, you know, mount on a very simple issue, which is uh, called uh, allowed to keep terms, you know, you know the phrase. Yeah. They wanted it to be allowed from year 1 to year 5, you carry everything and you go. They are just not on and uh, we refused to uh, support that. And of course, I think uh, better counsel prevailed. So these small incidents like these uh, built up and uh, gave you uh, an idea as to what uh, it would take to assume leadership. Um, I would think that while after my MBA deciding to take a a professional career rather than go back to family business, I would watch how leaders function, that's for sure, right from uh, very early on, uh, understand their styles, um, and then learn from them, and this happened very early on. so since we are in a storytelling mode, I can tell you that uh, one of the best teachers in this, without doing too much in terms of you know, classroom or education type uh, formally formally educating type of structure was mr H. T. Barek. So uh, you know, if you uh, entered the lift along with him on the ground floor, and he was the gentlest of gentle persons that you could have. Uh, He would first ask you, "What are you working on?" So you would uh, give a name of a project. And imagine there are only three floors or four floors before you get out. The second question was, "Who are the people? Mm -hmm. Who are the people?" And you had, you know, 10 seconds or 15 seconds to describe to him who are the people. Of course, he knew most of uh, industry, but in that 10 seconds, he would make a judgment on what project, who are the people, and what you make of that. No time for anything beyond that. So, you know, that put in my mind this uh, important uh, concept that if you are a lender, the person that you are lending to is the key. Mm. Everything else follows. Mm. So, everybody that uh, I came across, I would try to pick up something or other. So, my first uh, boss, Mr. Narkani, who was uh, chief of uh, the project department then and became chairman of ICS later and chairman of IDBI and chairman of SEBI. was probably one of the most brilliant people that I knew. And from him, you understood his technical ability, his ability to multitask. Uh, I've yet to see anybody who could, do, who could multitask better than him. He could clear six different appraisals at the same time and uh, edit as you went along, and then come back after going each one to exactly the point that you were on. Enormous intellect, but how you brought to bear on a particular thing, the ability to look at uh, things uh, with a different lens, as it were. Uh, you learned. Uh, uh, from him. Uh, other bosses in I say you learned uh, humility. Uh, again, um, I remember uh, Mr. S.S. S. Mehta, who was then managing director. This is my first year and um, late, later on became chairman. So uh, I was doing uh, one of my first projects, my very first project actually. And uh, it was a chemical uh, company producing chemicals uh, and Dyson chemicals. And uh, there was a product. Called uh, synthetic rouge, uh, which was used. And I used the word synthetic rouge in the appraisal throughout. And uh, when I went to, and you had to clear, the appraisal was read by the boss of those days, actually, before it went to the board. And you had to go and clear it with the boss if he had some comments. So I went to uh, this thing, and uh, he just kept flipping the pages. And on the 35 pages of the appraisal, he had everywhere underlined the word synthetic rouge. Uh, and written a question on the first page saying, "Is this an accepted terminology?" And he's a chemical engineer, so he, he very well knew. It was not that he didn't knew, he didn't know. So when I went in, he said, "Is this, uh, you know, an accepted word in the chemical dictionary?" And I said, "Yes." And of course, he knew what it was. It was red oxide. So uh, he said, uh, "Then the humility of the person." He went to each page and scored. He had put a question mark everywhere there was synthetic roots. And the, maybe at 8-10 pages it must have occurred, he scored that off and gave me the appraisal, which was a clean appraisal, mm-hmm. he didn't have to do much editing. But you learned that, you know, uh, it's all right, he could have just said, okay, go away and cut out the thing, but no, he did. Uh, he cared enough to uh, ask the question and corrected himself uh, the, you know, at the end of it. So you learned a whole lot from your uh, bosses and I quoted the first one or two years because they are the foundational years. And then they uh, teach you, uh, you know, what and how as you go along.
0: So from from a learner's perspective, you brought it from a nurturer's perspective, sir. What does it take for a young person, young Mr. Kamath, when he when he was a brilliant person who comes from with an engineering and an MBA from IIM Ahmedabad, to to give himself to learn? I think again I'll take it from the same bosses and turn it around.
1: I think you you have to have the humility to. Uh, Acknowledge that uh, you do not know everything and that uh, you will keep your mind open. It will be like a sponge, it will take in ideas, it will take in thought and it will uh, then you know, build uh, that into your own uh, modus as it were. And I think it takes humility to do that. I find uh, there is a tendency in a lot of people, you know, the, uh, the learner, to assume that he or she knows everything a priori. Mm. And this is the biggest mistake uh, you know, that you do and it will hurt your career, it will hurt your growth. Because obviously, you do not know As well
0: about self-confidence go, sir? Aren't you then not self confidence No, is it is it, it's it's not, a, it's not a, question of it's a
1: question of self-confidence. It is a question of actual knowledge. You do not have knowledge, but you believe your knowledge. That is not self-confidence. It is the other extreme of self-confidence. It is basically you are fooling yourself. And uh, you have to have the openness of mind to accept that uh, you may not know, you do not know in fact, and then start building on that. At some stage, when you think you uh, know everything, you can probably be a little more self confident. But truly, I will say that uh, this word self confidence, or it's not self confidence really, it is uh, if you acknowledge that you know everything, I think that is uh, the most defeatist thing that you can say. Because you really do not know everything at any point in time. I do not know everything today that I ought to know. So, uh, throughout my career, I have had that. openness that i do not know there are so many things i do not know i am going to keep my main, uh, mind open to get in ideas and uh, of course as time went on you refine the skill to take in ideas uh, connect create a picture connect the big uh, connect the dots make it into a bigger picture and so on but uh, i think early days the tendency in uh, young people youngsters to assume that you know everything and uh, that is End, but that also is the end as far as your career is concerned because you miss out on so many things and then you get into a narrow path. Uh,
0: so, when you got to the same Mr. H.T. position and uh, Mr. Natkarni's position, right, what was your style of engaging young people? Sir? I would think that uh, uh, you know, I tried
1: to imitate to some extent, uh, but uh, mostly it was uh, to try to empower them. I think times had changed. Uh, from '71 to '96, uh, you know, and you experiment with a whole lot of uh, things. Uh, very interestingly, I say, say, at least in my context, the way I looked at it, empowered you a lot. Even as a very young uh, you know, officer, uh, you had the ability to take a decision on a project, meet people independently, uh, and actually commit money you know, on behalf of the company, and so on you did not have the sanctioning power it obviously went above but you had the confidence that if you talk to a client and uh, there are some uh, thing that you could you needed to decide on you could and other things being equal the leadership would uh, back you uh, i thought that that had to be done in terms of uh, you know, building the the team that would lead i say say uh, limited in those days uh, Without going too much into it, the ICS of 1996 uh, was a very professional outfit. Uh, but characterized by what I would call as gentle management. Gentle management in, in all its positive character. But gentle management has a, a challenge that as you uh, go through time, uh, what happens is that uh, uh, you also do not take the hard decisions that you ought to take now when we had to take certain hard decisions in 1996 and very decisions which hurt me a lot personally because uh, you had to take a strong stand against uh, people that you grew up with uh, in terms of uh, their moving on uh, and so on letting them go letting them go uh, you had to then nurture a younger uh, group of people and most of these uh, you knew from their Capabilities, uh, you know, eight years back when I was there, and they would have been hardly four or five years into the organization, each one of these leaders at that point in time. So I had not seen them uh, come to mid-career level. And uh, here you were trying to give them uh, a slot which was virtually just one level below the board. These were the nine or ten leaders who would lead ICSI. And at that point of time, uh, it was actually. uh, a bigger leap of faith for some of them than for me to get them to believe in themselves and uh, you know deliver now there comes that interesting question that you raised confidence and self confidence i can say that there were leaders there who came to me and said that uh, i i am not skilled to do this job i cannot do this job the point was that as i saw it for that job at that point in time, the person did not need the skill in that job. The person needed some other skills and as long as that person brought those skills, I thought the person was appropriate for the job and then, indeed, these people excelled in the the new job which they did not know, uh, they were trying to do for the first time when they succeeded, uh, they excelled in uh, these jobs. So I I would think that uh, you have to have the ability when dealing with young people. To make a quick assessment, if they are if they are humble enough, they are willing to learn and build themselves up. Uh, as a leader, you have you have to have the ability to uh, empower them. So, the style of uh, the leadership of the 1970s in SSA, uh, I, say, I think, had to be changed uh, from uh, one which was empowering at some levels, one which was a family type comfort zone type of thing to uh, a structure which was uh, uh, more deliberate in terms of uh, its uh, uh, assessments and uh, feedback mechanisms. But at the same time, you know, elevating that uh, culture of empowering which was there in I say say to an altogether different level to basically even push people into leadership and then encourage them. Coach them and uh, mentor them and celebrate them as they grow.
0: What are the one or two things which you, which, which which when you saw, let us say, in a Chanda or in a Nachiket or in a Vaidyanathan or in a Kalpana, right? Which you, which told you, look, I'm going to bet on this See, uh, each one is. Uh, I, I
1: just is, took is the different. name. You no, can no, generally take a, Each a one general, is different. I'm, just, people. I'm uh, characterizing this as each one is different. And each one, uh, you need to understand what are their core abilities, and that's very easily uh, understood. Um, now if you look at uh, a cross-section of people, uh, everybody cannot have every quality, so you pick and choose. And these are these are these are very early days, as right, I say, leaders for uh, what is their core ability that uh, you know comes out to the surface, and then you make a quick assessment. How does this young leader shape up in the context of other skills, other abilities that have to come together to make this person whole? So, To start with, again to answer your question, nobody is whole, but you would have one or two character traits. They could be competencies, intellect, the way you interact, whatever you need to actually succeed. They may have one or two of them, but not the five or six of them. And thereafter, you try to uh, see them in a real-world context, that is putting them on the job, how well they build other competencies that are required to succeed. And uh, different people uh, manage this to different uh, levels and uh, succeed also at uh, to different levels.
0: Would you say, sir, in your experience, once you take this call on this set of people, what kind of approach you took, sir? You gave them time to flower or uh, is is there a requirement to be very impatient to make the calls and move on, sir? See, on
1: hindsight, I would think that uh, you need to give uh, some time to, uh, to, not, to, to uh, actually grow. Which you uh, did. Grow. I
0: can say yeah,
1: But I did. But we were in a situation where uh, uh, time was at a premium. So time was always under pressure. So you gave... Uh, uh, very tight uh, timelines to people within which they had to develop uh, you know, this uh, multi set characteristics in terms of uh, what they had to do to succeed. And uh, you, know, you have this saying that the bar is never constant, the bar always uh, grows higher, uh, goes higher uh, the moment you hit uh, what was initially set as uh, the goal for you. And uh, that I think we used to a uh, very good effect to uh, get leaders understand and scale. And I remember when a leader, uh, a young leader, uh, you see certain weaknesses, uh, struggle uh, in a particular area, uh, a little bit of hand-holding, a little bit of mentoring works. Um, I was lucky that uh, almost the entire slate that was picked performed outstandingly well. Um, And it's a tribute to uh, their abilities rather than I think my coaching.
0: Do good mentors and nurturers sometimes uh, give a knock and challenge the young people or uh, I've seen you do it. So what was in your mind when you challenged people? Uh, I've I've experienced it, I'm sure all of us have experienced it and and, and, and actually push us to the edge, actually, I in terms of what we can do. Yeah,
1: honestly, I think. W- was there a
0: risk uh, no. we saw, you didn't see? No.
1: I think that. uh, Do we see
0: more ability in us than what we ourselves saw in ourselves?
1: No, I think uh, people have these uh, uh, extremes. As I said earlier, uh, people believe they know everything. At the same time, I think a lot of times people are not, uh, you know, not capable of understanding what they are capable of. So uh, I think a leader's job is to identify that part of it and uh, celebrate that and let the person grow. At the same time, if there are weaknesses, keep a careful eye at those weaknesses. This young leader hmm, hmm. Uh, starts but filling on your own. But you reject
0: the person for weakness, sir?
1: Uh, a priori, no. But then uh, if a person continues to fill uh, only two boxes and the rest of them uh, don't develop, then at some stage, um, you know, you will have to uh, yeah. let the person uh, move on.
0: There is an interesting parallel I've seen with you, sir. The same. Uh, during the same phase, you unleashed innovation in ICAC. You know, you got almost every one of these people who you, uh, who we know today are who's who, right, to do something which they innovated. Is there a commonality between taking calls on people and taking bets on the future of business, sir?
1: Um, you know, when I look back, I do not think uh that was primary in my mind. Primary in my mind was uh, to get a leadership uh, structure in, uh, which could drive the organization forward. And it was very early after I came back, maybe in the first year or so. But I also simultaneously realized that uh, the only way we could uh, actually survive was to innovate. So we had to innovate across several uh, frames. Uh, one indeed was the technology, because uh, I found that uh, technology that had been put in in 1998 stood still. Mm. So you needed to shake it and uh, get it to uh, be, you know, I would say, uh, current as it were. Then there were new things happening in technology. So you started building on that. As you start building on that, you quickly realize that uh, maybe the business you are in itself is vulnerable. Mm. So we need to now uh, find a new path forward. So you needed to do several things to do that. And uh, this young leadership uh, embraced it like uh, I could never believe. They just embraced these new challenges and new opportunities. And uh, we built each of these, not uh, in sequence, but in parallel.
0: Like the distribution and innovation. So, so even before
1: that comes uh, the branding. Brand, yeah. Uh, then, um, you know, getting that brand to uh, be popularized. And I said there will be no budget for branding. So, the budget will be actually the advertisements we did for the bond issues. So, the entire, the new ICSA that you see now with the logo was uh, promoted on the basis of Advertisements that we did for actual products. Mm-hmm. And uh, then very quickly uh, happened retail. And then we said uh, the bank needs to be rebranded. So we get the bank branches uh, to be redone. Uh, and uh, ATMs came in in 2000. The whole thing became orange. And uh, even a one year child could uh, look at an ATM and say ICICI I I, because uh, once the parents said it, it stuck in their mind. The color stuck in their mind, not so much this because that much vivid reddish pink wasn't there anywhere else so a whole lot of things uh, happened on uh, that front then you had to roll out products different products um, so of course they need to raise capital build the hr uh, structure in, bring new practices in and suddenly speed became a new um, ally for uh, the group and so on so each one of the leaders picked one or more of these and ran with the the ball and uh, you know they could touch down
0: successfully and but how do you handle um, ego, sir. Uh, you know, you saw, uh, you know, this is like the West Indies team of 1974, Clive Lloyd team, right? Uh, there are uh, uh, the four pacemen, uh, Vivian Richards, Gordon Greenage, that kind of uh, uh, people who, in their own respect, are very strong personalities, uh, uh, your, your young team. Um, th- was that a challenge for you, sir?
1: Actually, I must say that at uh, that time, you know, going back to 96 to 2004, I do not see uh, very clearly egos uh, coming to the forefront or uh, battling it out. I think everybody was aligned to a cause and within that cause, they had uh, you know, their own uh, role to play. That is, again, something I think that is required in an organizational context. You have to have a common the uh, goal. The Absolutely, the purpose uh, and you have to own the purpose. And within that, each one needs to know what um, you, know, you do. Again, an anecdote there, if we look at the fundraising that we did, uh, we had the confidence to say that we could mount four teams, whereas the bankers would say, typically only the in your sort of organization maybe the CEO along with the CFO is a team, and if you push it, maybe the CEO and the CFO are two teams, but beyond that we can't do it, and we would say it's not for us. We we can mount four teams, and we did mount multiple teams, and the bankers would come back and say that, you know, all of you talk the same script, and I can tell you this, we never exchange scripts. But what are the magic, sir? The magic was you own the purpose. If everybody owns the purpose, then you do not need to teach the script. The script is hardwired into your mind, and I think that was the great uh, ability of the team, that they owned the mission as it were, and the script got hardwired, and wherever they went, they spoke the common language. So there was no discordant note as far as uh, uh, the investors were, cons- were concerned in that context. I think that also laid down the character of the of the of the bank uh, since this code was hardwired you know certain way of uh, coming across of behavior became normal and uh, you recollect if we found aberrant behavior we were then highly upset as to why this aberrant behavior is happening with us but typically. Early days, this is what was laid down.
0: Sir, just to uh, stay with that uh, uh, theme of innovation, sir, uh, um, uh, the two-three principles in your mind you had to unleash innovation in an organization, sir. I I would, you unleashed it. Yeah, uh, I, 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 no I would no think that
1: there are two or three things that uh, I need to uh, probably put in context. One was, you know, in marketing terms, I say, is there a felt need? There was an overwhelmingly felt need in the ICS of those days uh, to do things which were different. And uh, you know, I use the phrase you know, universal banking, maybe in late 96 or 97, and most competition laughed. And I celebrated. I said, that's the best response you can have, because I think I'll have clear territory for five, six years, because nobody believes this. None of the competitors believe this. So they laughed at it. And so the innovation brigade within the organization at Freeway. So that is on product innovation. Then we said technology is happening, can we not leverage that? And that became a, a different path to uh, innovate. So without elaborating too much, there were several things that happened uh, in sequence. It was a very exciting time and uh, of course, uh, times continue to be exciting even today uh, because we used to say then that uh, you know we are living in discontinuities and uh, this sort of discontinuities, do not happen time and again, but of course, even today we continue to say that. And uh, we said we should learn how to leverage uh, these discontinu- discontinuities to our advantage. Put another way, uh, seize every innovation that happens. But you asked me a specific question. Uh, the ability, and this I am talking in the context of a leader, is uh, ought to be. The ability to look at uh, a wide range of experiences, and that's what I have been. If, I've to put it that way. I call myself somebody looking at experiences, filtering them in my own mind and then seeing whether they have relevance today or in a connect-the-dot sort of situation, they have relevance a little later. Let's take a few examples. Uh, see, in the period 88-96, when I was abroad in Southeast Asia, what I saw was as per capita incomes increased from 500 to 1000 dollars. Uh, Certain things happened. I didn't know why. Uh, People's aspirations changed. They wanted a car. They wanted a motorcycle. The country started building uh, roads and tollways. Malls started to happen. Credit cards started to be seen and so on. This was before the phone era, the cell phone era. And I said, India is heading to $500. We are not at $500. And all these ought to happen. This is going to take three to four years for us to build. So let us build on this now. So it was basically picking uh, experiences from around Asia at that point in time uh, and trying to say that this could replicate itself in India and what is it that we as a bank can capitalize on at one level. A little later was uh, technology. Uh, till then, mainframes were prevalent, internet was just coming in, emails had started, uh, and we said, uh, hey, we need to put technology in, but we can't afford a mainframe. So what do you do? Uh, you, you can look back, and uh, what you learn is, uh, there is a very rapid change in technology, there is a rapid change in uh, scale of, uh, again, technical ability, rapid change in cost moving down, uh, cl- classical Moore's law, in full force. And then you say to yourself, why do I need a mainframe? Uh, now you are a maverick, in the sense that, No bank in the world has the guts to say we are doing away with the mainframe. Here, our need, we need a mainframe, but we don't have the means. So, you look at the big picture again, the big picture is giving you answers and you say, can you not take bets on uh, this uh, new technology that is coming in, which we believe will grow faster than we can ever grow and that's what happened. And uh, of course, technology growth has far outstripped our pace of growth and I think, uh, What machines we were experimenting with those days uh, are probably multiple times, uh, you know, what you have in your pocket today is multiple times more powerful than the mainframes that we are talking about, leave alone the machines we used. So, just these two illustrations, I would think, uh, to me, uh, bring forth what is possible by keeping an open mind, looking at things, and uh, uh, letting, uh, and, 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 executing on that
0: basis it, it brings it, it tells me sir so so in a way you are basically saying the perspectives which you are able to really make significance out of it and risk appetite ends up becoming two big levers for uh, from, from your uh, uh, narration these two seem to come out as two major drivers in leaders for innovation yeah, perspectives certainly risk
1: appetite I have to put with a with a caution in the sense that uh, uh, it is uh, necessary to have the ability to take a calculated risk after analyzing all the factors. But if somebody were to say, it is my gut decision, that would be wrong. I think a gut decision is also an amalgamation or ought to be an amalgamation of all your learnings and experiences. Mm. Mm. Learnings and experiences of other people to the extent that you can fathom them and harness them, and then you take a decision, you call it a gut decision, I will stand by it and I have done that time and again. But you say that this is how I feel, right? then you are uh, setting yourself up your, your So, I do not think uh, anything that we did, because I felt almost everything that we did was on the basis that there is rational and the sound uh, experience, based on that we can go ahead and take this bet.
0: Are you a big data person sir? Uh, because there are people who today bet and say that I need to look at analytics, I need to know, the look at spreadsheets, look at uh, uh, algorithms before I will take a big decision. How much of algorithms draw and spreadsheets draw your uh, innovation and your calls, sir? See,
1: uh, you would never have taken a single decision if you looked at uh, data that narrowly. Uh, And in real life, you do not have the time to uh, do that uh, in-depth analysis. I hope we had the time. Maybe in the big data world today, you will get access to that sort of uh, data. But the world we lived in was not possible. And I think some of the things that you did then will certainly be applicable today. And that was look at bigger trends, hmm. Bo- li- look at bigger, I would say, or macro uh, moves, and then try to read into them rather than look at micro uh, data and uh, micromanage. The data to your end, it would never have a...
0: Like like you looked at the per capita as one of the data. Like you looked at the linkage of per capita with respect to what is happening to lifestyles. I never had... See,
1: some data is not available. For example, if per capita income hits $500, how many people will buy a house is not available. However, at that point of time, I remember, 96 or 97, uh, analytics uh, which showed consumer behavior. This, setting was a study that NCAR used to bring out every year, and one important piece of data, and that was again a big data that we found. Uh, I would say, in today's context, we can call it big data, was number of families migrating from one income slab to another, and that was an astounding number. It was something like 30% of the families every year were migrating slabs so from uh, have-not to just uh, have and then affluent and you segment it into four or five different categories, the category hopping that was there. And I said to myself, now what will be the aspiration here? Let us say, the cycle is the aspiration at the lowest level, but 30 percent are moving up. Their aspiration probably will be used motorcycle. Hmm. And at that level, let us say, the aspiration is uh, 21-inch color television. At the next level, the aspiration is going to be a 27-inch color television. Okay. So I think in those days, 27-29 yes, was, was the next big leap from uh, 21. And uh, maybe at that time, he wants an entry-level car or a second-hand car. So, you broadly said this is what is going to happen, but if there is 30% category hopping, something is happening here which nobody is understanding and uh, is good enough to build a business uh, case on.
0: So when you went for the trading platform, sir, in India, Right, uh, many people don't still know that we are bigger than Charles Schwab in terms of what we what we have created in India. Uh, I, I still call we ICICI is is my company actually. So 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 what 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 confidence did you have that Indian consumer with low penetration to internet would adopt to trading platforms,
1: It's an interesting question and uh, some interesting uh, observations on that. See, internet was just happening. Yes, sir. And uh, We said that online trading is going to be a convenience tool rather than place your orders, go into the market, and uh, get your broker to execute and so on. So, we are talking of 99 or 2000. Yet, what was bothering me was uh, that if you were pushing for the ATM, internet banking, internet broking had to happen, was clear in my mind. Um, But what was bothering me was the cost. Of uh, you know, building uh, building no, uh, building, the, building the platform no, again like the mainframe because uh, it had to be custom built and then uh, you know it was that big learning that I had you know, I attended a technology seminar that I think McKinsey organized in New York I was there for something else and I just sat in on one day and to me that one day probably is equal to maybe several years of education that I've had at which level I. W- I won't say because all education is important from your first grade to your uh, 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 you know, management school. Which day I won't say, but this one day was equal to several years. And that is when you know I could get from a distance how the mind of a startup in Silicon Valley, uh, sitting in a garage maybe, works. Uh, it's completely different from a corporate uh, mindset and how they go about building. Uh, a product piece, completely different from how an IT department would function. Uh, need for collaboration, the need for young teams, the need to uh, trust, you know, what other people build, need to buy modules, integrate them, a whole lot of things uh, which were alien to the IT office as it were. And uh, I said, uh, all this would mean quicker and cheaper. Mm. And of course, that's where I heard the 90-day rule. They said, if you don't get the product to market in 90 days after beta testing, uh, you are dead. Why? Because there are 200 people working on the same idea. This is the heydays of the 99, uh, you know, the dot com boom that was taking place. And if you don't get the product to market in 90 days, you are dead, because with 200 guys working on the same idea, the first successful idea gets it. the Others uh, lose out. So, we had to get uh, this product uh, in, the trading platform in 90 days. We had to do it in the new way that we were talking of. And uh, so we th- reset timelines and we reset the way we would uh, do it. And I think the cost came in at a fraction, maybe 20 25% or maybe 20% or what we were originally scheduled to uh, you know, pay for this platform. And that came in almost a year and a half earlier than what uh, we were to do it. So It gave you market lead and it made it affordable uh, to uh, you know, price affordably to uh, the market. So these decisions, which are taken without necessary necessarily having very deep spreadsheets or algorithms, uh, but look at broad trends, look at uh, and then to the extent necessary, drill down. As far as I am concerned, those are, that's the only way to grow.
0: Just staying on that because I'm I'm captivated by this innovation piece, sir. How do we reassure Let's say, sir, you're a 100000 people organization 150000 people organization there are legacy mindsets in a company sir so there could be this 100 people 200 people who are very purposive driving forward with uh, innovation for the future sir uh, is, how do these people carry this 100000 people with them sir would not would they not feel threatened my their skills will that they that will become obsolete that fear several things, not
1: only uh, that uh, skills will become obsolete. I think the first is uh, what I said again, we discussed in the very beginning, yeah. I know it all, yes. yes,, so I know it all. there is no better way. I have built the best uh, mouse trap, so ah. so that is it. So that is the problem that uh, every leader will face, and that is where that leader also has to take uh, a stick to this culture as it were, and rebuild it. It is not as easy as I make it out to be. Because uh, even if you say that you have dealt with it once, I would think it takes less than conservatively, I would say two to three years for this culture to rebuild. So, if you believe that you have built it once, uh, you cannot assume that I have done it, like you cannot assume I know it all. Again, you cannot say I have done it. You will have to continuously take uh, a stick to this. And it is a wearing down game. That system tries to wear you down. You try to wear it down. I a successful leader is one uh, who is on top and doesn't let the system uh, get at it. Having said
0: it, it's so there's nothing wrong taking a stick sometimes to the system.
1: No, there is. A, in this case, I would think in the innovation context, a stick has to be taken every uh, every three years,
0: maximum, for the status quoist.
1: Yeah, and even 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 if it is not the status quoist, even if you are, you know, best in class today, there's so many things happening. It's very easy to, uh, to lose sight of. And if you do not take a stick to the system, uh, you are going to be a has-been very soon. So
0: once in a while, for a leader to be harsh with his teams, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing, sir. I think uh,
1: once in a while, I would like to put it more, uh, refine it more strictly. What is once in a while? Once in a while, for some people could be 20 years, some people could be 10 years. I think we are at a pace today where uh, once in a while probably is between one once and one and two years, and that I think is going to be very
0: hard for so the cycles of change
1: yeah very very hard for uh, uh, a leader to understand and even more for his team to understand that the cycle has completely changed now, for example, now uh, just now uh, in India there is this big uh, disruption happening because of demonetization now what would a bank have to do today to stay on top of what clearly is a digital revolution which is going to happen because external forces are pushing you towards that that is the government is forcing you towards that, which is good, it's excellent actually, and technology is saying crying out and saying, "Come use, use me," and I will uh, facilitate this so every bank will have to now rethink uh, everything that they have done in the last Leave us at 10 years, last three years, to try to build a completely different platform which is in tune with today.
0: Like automation for IT industry. Yeah,
1: I think uh, it goes beyond automation. It uh, probably is almost like artificial intelligence for uh, the IT industry. Almost the same uh, application in uh, the banking.
0: Healthcare, again, same way.
1: Almost all industries, and even government. And that is exactly what uh, I think is the bigger uh, purpose in what Mr. Modi is talking of. He's basically. saying that we can, with whatever is available, connect the big dots in the system um, to make things possible with Aadhaar as the key, uh, with the handles as uh, the means and the internet as something providing you the, <coughs> the, the lubrication as it were. The whole thing is uh, feasible today. To live in a digital real-time world, again I am talking of uh, finance, but as you said, healthcare. And a whole lot of other things, including the way the government looks at you, and uh, you know, ensures that you behave and pay your taxes and so on.
0: Is uh, your uh, approach to staying current, sir? How do you stay current, uh, especially now that you're moved to a new role? This is a role which is very different to what you have done till now. Uh, 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 how do you stay current, sir?
1: See, my new role uh, to me is uh, like a startup. So, uh, in a way, it is simple. In a way, it is complex. Uh, it's a huge learning for me, and that's exactly what I'm celebrating because I've never worked with. But five that
0: doesn't uh, create anxiety. No, so
1: I've never worked with five different cultures. Yeah. So uh, you need to understand culture. You need to understand how minds work. They're not necessarily the same. They're all highly intelligent minds, but they work differently. So you need to understand how to manage, and that itself is a learning. So. I, I look at every day as a learning in uh, in uh, the office as it were, they are building up from uh, scratch. But certain principles you can still uh, put in. In a sense, you want a 90-day rule and you make it very clear that we work on a 90-day rule, somebody else may be working on a 24-month rule, but we work on 90 days. Uh, we want technology which is lean, so we work on technology which is lean. We, wa- we want to work on uh, lean people structure, we will work on that. So I think there is no... But I would think a country like China itself, I go to a different, is a daily learning experience. So, I celebrate uh, that and those learnings, if I can succeed in uh, bringing that knowledge to say, to start with our five member countries, uh, I would have met a small purpose as it were, my own mind. For example, uh, Shanghai probably, I do not know whether you have been there there. uh, uh, recently, is probably the most livable city in the world today. It is certainly amongst the cleanest cities in the world. It is certainly probably the best connected city in the world. Uh, Things work, things hum and uh, it has been done so with hard work. So taking those lessons, that knowledge and translating it becomes a win-win for uh, various countries, various cities and so on. Of course, I forgot to say it's probably getting to be one of the cleanest cities in the world with pollution levels uh, falling every year. And the air being um, you know breathable and now I think comfortable as we go along, so uh, there's a whole lot of things to learn apart from just business, when you move to a different uh, and if you have the ability to bring that knowledge to another constituent, it makes your uh, uh, life that much more enjoyable
0: so 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 observation
1: hundred percent interaction you have to have your ears and eyes open and be humble enough to receive signals, that is the first thing. Second is interaction, but I would think observation more than interaction. Observation, interaction is asking the next question. Certainly, to to be a better educated person, you have to uh, interact. Uh, Clearly, in sequence of uh, things that you could, uh, have. and of course, then there has to be a bias for action. Just observing and interacting, well, makes you a wiser person, but does not do societal good, or good that you can easily translate, and I think you need to get to that stage. To make things happen, maybe in your own organization, or if you have the opportunity, in a wider context.
0: So, one last point, sir. Uh, generally, people don't like this question, uh, but and I say it in a very positive sense. Uh, how important is it for leaders to be politically astute, read signals, sense, and to be able to engage with the dynamics in? organizations of any kind?
1: Yeah, I, I think it is critical. It is not just important. Isn't it critical in a family context? The family dynamics is driven uh, by politics, internal politics. Yes, sir. Uh, we may give it different names, but it is internal politics. A family dynamics driven by emotion. Family dynamics is driven by a sense of hurt. Not now, but in the past somebody caused me hurt and so on. And I can go on and on. And all these are true in an organization context. All these are true in a larger national context. And your ability to handle this internally between yourself and the uh, leaders, inter- between the leaders themselves, the leaders and then the people who actually you know, drive and create value for the organization is critical. At the same time, it is equally important that uh, you as the leader and your team, when it interfaces with The government or supervisors or regulators also bring to bear, I won't use the word politics, but uh, appropriate uh, way of behaving, understanding, taking signals and working without compromise. The yardstick then has to be working without compromise, uh, having done all this. But if you do not take signals in at whichever end, starting from family to government, I think you are not going to succeed for long.
0: So One of the things I have seen with you, Uh, Every meeting you would consciously want to know the seating plan, who sits where and placing people in the meeting. Was that also a politically astute uh, thought, sir?
1: It was not so much politically astute as I would think uh, a true sense of and I mean very genuinely of respect for uh, the person who is going to occupy that seat, because this again came to me from uh, pre my leadership days as the CEO, or how people would uh, try to grab seats, how people would be offended if a seat they normally occupied was occupied by somebody else, and so on. So I was highly conscious of this, and I said, when we, when I have the opportunity to lead, we will not allow this to be. Uh. So primarily, it was to ensure that. Um, you know, the person who was going to occupy that seat uh, felt that it was appropriate and it was this. And it broadly fit the organizational uh, plan so that there was no more tension. Uh, it was one way of fol- uh, f- uh, solving. It's like uh, who sits at a dinner table in the family. So there are
0: Clearly, no ego well also. Ego. No ego ourselves. No no so, my last question, sir, this is to say. Uh, in your checkered career, you have seen very promising leaders get derailed, all of a sudden, suddenly, sir. Uh, what have you observed has led to this derailment? A
1: very simple answer. In almost all cases that I have seen, uh, two or three things, it's a sim- not a simple answer, two or three things, but it is not very complex either. I think somewhere in the equation is greed, somewhere in the uh, uh, equation is ambition and somewhere in the equation is uh, an over assessment of your own capabilities and an under assessment of uh, the context and the uh, challenges and the you know what you will be able to do outside you mix this up and make it into a a, 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 a tossed dish and you have got chaos in almost every single case this is so so anybody who is planning a move uh, my advice is uh, think carefully make a move certainly you have to make a move times but i'll share something in my own context i did not make a move except the first move uh, to get to adb and uh, but i can tell you this that every two or three years there would be headhunters even in those days and i would have an assessment of my worth as it were from an external angle my internal worth my bosses would uh, you know relate to me in terms of there was no direct feedback in those days but in terms of appreciation of your work and so on you had. Uh, so you had an assessment of work and you then try to stay within what was your assessment and actually look at a picture as to where would you head 10 years from now, where would you head 15 years from now. You know, we, I miss saying that all this is required for a young uh, person as he grows because without setting goalposts for yourself, uh, you are not going to achieve them. So I did those, uh, maybe I did not get to a stage where I had uh, Said I would become a CEO, but um, probably the first time you could aim at that was after, in my career at least, after about 15 years in the organization. I could see that this is where my career is heading, so I have a reasonable shot at uh, the top uh, spot, but not very early in the game. You, but you said as you progress, where are you going to be? In what time frame? Time frame? Who are the people around you? You have to be sensitive to all these things, but. You have to be also careful to assess whether, at the end of it, uh, you know, if you are set out to get a golden uh, pot, as it were, to strike it, whether you're really going to achieve it, because there are all the complications that I mentioned that could happen, and most people lose sight the sparkle, the shine of that uh, golden pot is too much, and uh, they jump, and uh, you jump into an abyss. I think mean, that's what I have found. With most people who have left, you have not achieved everything. A small proportion do succeed and uh, good luck to them.
0: Uh, in conclusion, sir, uh, you once told me, so you know I, uh, what project it was. Uh, uh, I brought you a sheet of paper which says these are the leadership qualities and all. Then you put it aside and you said, Ram, people grow in the, in the uh, when you put them on the chair. That's a huge statement to make, sir. Uh, Can you help our viewers understand? You you explained it to me, but I would want my viewers to understand that uh, enormous uh, lesson I learned that day from you when you said, Ram, people uh, learn when you put them on the chair.
1: Yeah, I think uh, people learn from uh, when you are in the chair for a very simple reason. that There is nothing else that you can then uh, look around and uh, blame you yourself. Are the person uh, uh, who has to take, who has to take all the decisions, and uh, will be held accountable and responsible for what you do. That itself gives you, uh, uh, you know, makes you that much more uh, tuned, as it were, to uh, take decisions. One. Second, when you are in the chair, uh, think you have a sense of responsibility for what is happening around you, and are conscious of that. And you grow in terms of your ability to think, your ability to act and so on. If you don't, you are going to fail. But it's also a comfort that the chair will you know, get you to uh, bring, uh, bring to the fore certain qualities which you may yourself not have known. It is a comfort. So when you put the person in, I think you have a, you know, uh, that comfort that the chair is also going to contribute to success. But the attributes that you talked about, what is also important is that uh, the static set of attributes doesn't work. Attributes or qualities, hmm, uh, which are important in the current context, are important. And then the chair does it. Now, you put people who do not have the basic set of qualities into the chair; if nothing. The chair is not going to do anything to you. But if for example, if uh, the environment is volatile, you need a leader who uh, is unfaced with volatility and is able to face it. Equanimity. Uh, with equanimity and the ability to take a shock and uh, so on. Uh, so, I think you need uh, different leaders for different uh, type of things. But and if you look at the sort of uh, leadership change that is happening in the Western context, I do not know what the CEO shelf life today is, but I think it's less than uh, three, three years on an average. <coughs> you then ask a question, what is what is really happening? What is happening is, uh, I think the the reading of what was required for this chair was completely wrong. People did not put down those attributes properly. Or it's a
0: theoretical model.
1: Exactly. It's a theoretical model, not what is practical to today's context. It was bound for failure the day you specified that. And uh, maybe there are assessment mistakes, but the day you put the model out, it was wrong and that leads to uh, So, in the final context, in looking at uh, the next leader, you need to make sure that uh, uh, you know the, the qualities, I would say, are current and in consonance with the, the time period that you are talking of and that leads to success with the help of the chair.
0: Sir, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Uh, you actually heard uh, what we used to hear, at least I used to hear for 15 years every day I uh, had this exactly this interaction with Mr. Kamath uh, I was uh, I and my colleagues at ICICI we were blessed so we could walk into the room and uh, we can have this conversation with uh, the great man uh, and this was my passion I said that one day I have to bring Mr. Kamath which w- who was available to all of us to all the people around here so that they can all benefit and today that was fulfilled for me and I hope it has got fulfilled for all of you but once again let me close this with saying if you just stop by listening to this conversation with Mr. Kamath you would only get half the value set up this conversation in your mind and as you go forward I do this to this day ask yourself can I have this conversation with Mr. Kamath on this particular issue trust me you would be able to have that conversation in your mind and that would take you forward. That's the best way to make the best use of this podcast. Thank you. Uh, You should visit once again Leadership Center podcast. We have wonderful leaders who will share with you their perspectives and their world of leadership. Thank you.